Hello, and thank you for listening to another episode of Creative Confessionals, a podcast for radically honest conversations about art, design, and creative entrepreneurship from diverse perspectives. My name is Amanda Melindo, and my awesome co-host, Mina Vargas, is really busy right now at the ASU Design Lab trying to get some homework done before tomorrow. Uh, So unfortunately, she couldn't be here for this recording. But not to worry, she was available for Unique's actual interview, which you will hear in just a moment. I'm going to keep announcements really short, but I do want to let you know about Culture Shift, which is a panel moderated by Unique Yazi, who is today's guest. And I am so excited to say that she has invited me to be a part of the panel. So I will be speaking alongside some amazing other artists and designers, talking about equity and diversity in the creative fields. That is going to take place on Sunday, October 7th at Phoenix Design Week which is here in Phoenix, Arizona at the convention center. I'm not sure if tickets are still on sale, but if you are planning on attending, I really hope that you come by and say hi. And I will include a link to that page so you can learn more information in the show notes if you want to take a look. And as I already mentioned, our guest for today is Unique Yazi. Unique is a graphic designer and artist who grew up in Flagstaff, Arizona, in South Dakota, and in Chinle, Arizona on the Navajo Nation. Her background brings cultural perspective and appreciation to her breadth of work and activism. Unique is a poet and storyteller with the Mujeres del Sol Collective. She served on the board of Emerging Art Leaders Phoenix, and she offers design services and creative consulting as the owner of Unique Design. She has worked with Performance in the Borderlands, Jazz Meets June, Tempe Center for the Arts, AZ Republic Media, Mesa Art Center, Spark After Dark, Northern Arizona University, and Arizona State University. She has also completed projects for the Phoenix Indian Center, National Urban Indian Family Coalition, the Washington State Indian Education Association, Poder in Action, Black Mesa Water Coalition, Movimiento Boricua, and many more. Unique has a ton of experience, insight, and passion for everything she does, and I'm so excited to share this interview with you. So let's give it a listen. My family decided to move back to the reservation when I was about fourth grade. So I had gotten to know multiple communities in South Dakota, in Utah, also in other cities like Flagstaff. My experience with being around different people was um, came natural to me until I got to the reservation. When I moved to the reservation, it, it reminded me of home in a way that I would be able to go home and then leave. Very secluded. There are no like grocery stores. There's no cool places to hang out. Mm-hmm. There are just things that are lacking. And so I really didn't like it. And so I fought my mom and my dad about even going to school. They took took like four weeks to get me into school. Mm-hmm. And so it was, I was resisting. <laughs> but basically when I finally got to school, I slowly started to get to know like more of my cousins. Moving back to the reservation was like a whole experience for me. It was a major culture shock. I didn't know how to adjust to it. I come from a Christian background. That is why we moved around a whole lot. My mm-hmm. dad was in the ministry. And so, and that's why I was around a lot of communities. We would actively, you know, get out into the community and invite people in. And so it was funny being back because it was a reality check for me, so to say. When I was back home, my parents were still in the ministry and we still had a church, but I had a whole nother world. It wasn't just me in a window looking out anymore. It, yeah. it felt like these people were family. It was really home. A lot of times I think back and I always say like, oh, I was so bullied and blah, blah, blah. And like, you know, hold that resentment. But I really feel like that made me understand the pain that was around me. I remember like gang violence, you know, hearing about people being killed, people getting sick over some interesting things. We had mercury poisoning mm-hmm. at our junior high school. and That's crazy. Yeah, I mean, just it's it's a world that is off the radar. And so just understanding where I came from was a big transition for me. Mm-hmm. So understanding from after moving around and then going back. And then going back. 
Yeah. And it's not until now that I'm in my age and where I'm at that I understand the reasons why my parents left and moved around and tried to find work elsewhere. Like we followed work. And so it's clear to me now, but back then I just remember being so angry at everyone Mm -hmm. because I had rooted people and rooted family that didn't accept me. And then I had the whole world that saw me differently. When I moved out here, I saw it as a huge opportunity to learn all the stuff that I knew before, but it was just fun. Mm -hmm. But now I realize it's a completely different world and there's things about it that are good that I could bring back, you know, to the small communities from where we come from. And so like my mission literally was like, go learn everything about design, everything about the computer, everything about the industry. And as soon as I do that, I wanted to bring that back in a way that translated into the direction of my community. Mm -hmm. I mean, I didn't see anyone in my town besides teachers, you know, people that came back and are, or doctors because we had a hospital that had degrees or had very, very good jobs that they were passionate about. So you didn't have lots of role models like that. You had family that you loved and, you know, they work hard. They're hard workers, but they're very stuck in a system. They kind of just learn to accept it because, I mean, you live there all your life and, there's really nothing else. You don't want to move. My mom and dad used to always say, like, you left so quick. Like, 18. And I was, like, graduated two weeks later, packed all my stuff. My mom and dad kept looking at my room, like, what is she doing? <laughs> what is she doing? And I'm like, and they're like, where are you going? I'm like, we're moving to Phoenix. We're leaving tomorrow. And they're <laughs> <Yeah>. like, what? <laughs> Bye. <laughs> yeah, like, goodbye. And then I remember my mom and dad, they really encouraged my sense of adventure. According to like my mom, she said that I had never done anything like crazy stupid. It was always very like planned out, logical, but it had some risk. It had some fun. I would always try and push the envelope a little bit. Since I grew up with rules, lots of rules, I kind of found my way to navigate around them. So it's funny how that kind of transitioned into nowadays where I look at things at a different angle and a different perspective. Well, I had lots of rules, but in my mind, I was like, I don't need rules. Yeah. <laughs> Do what I want. They're not oh, rules. Man. They're challenges. <laughs> like challenge accepted. Like yes. How do I this? Oh my gosh. <laughs> the cool thing is that when I moved here, it was very like I said, 18 years old. In the whim, there was five girls that were going to be on the lease mm-hmm. of the apartment. We were getting a two-bedroom apartment. <laughs> it was going to be in Tempe. Isn't that? A, I think that's technically illegal. In we Tempe. did that though. We, we, did that. we were like we had we lived with like a hundred people in Tempe. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, Is it illegal? Yeah. Oh yeah. yeah, yeah. Wait. When did it become? It's was this... been. It's an old law. So oh, it's okay. like it's women specifically too. Because it's. If there's more than like three or four women living in a house together in Tempe, it's considered it a brothel. brothel? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> we for sure lived in a brothel. Oh my god. We did that. <laughs> that is funny. I was like, what kind of sexist shit is this? <laughs> Holy crap. <laughs> I did not know that. Okay, so we moved down in a big truck and uh, had all of our stuff in the back, and I chose the location. And so I had gone to a orientation like a a month before um, looking at the school that I wanted to go to. And Mm -hmm. it was a design school. It was called um, Al Collins Graphic Design School. It was in Tempe and it was a small school. At that point in time, you had to be selected Mm -hmm. to go to the school. So you had to um, submit a portfolio. It was a really nice school and I chose it for the quickness. I also chose it because I didn't want to do all those prerequisites. So it was cool because there was like a little cohort of uh, natives that had chosen to go to that school. And to this day, like I know these people and I know what they're doing now. A lot of them are artists now. Eventually, I came home one day and found out that we were evicted. And it was very harsh reality. And for me, it was really upsetting because... I was hardly ever home. Yeah. And if I was home, I was just hanging out in my room. And so a lot of things that happens when you're young and you have a lot of people like around you and everybody is moving from Chinle to Phoenix. Yeah. So we end up all re-clicking except this time we are all like, whoa, like in in Phoenix, you know, and no rules and no, I mean, it's just, 
you realize your freedom way too fast and yeah. sometimes yeah. people get carried away with it because they've never had those boundaries in the first place mm-hmm. and so a lot of things happened that that split a lot of our friends and a lot of them ended back up on the reservation and are working there some of them ended up dead from lifestyles and some for me of native american population in the world i'm probably the point nine or the point you know that small increment of somebody who's actually going for what i want to do and trying to make good decisions along the way and also trying not to have the system trip me up because Mm -hmm, i saw so many people in that time period get tripped up by stupid things but it tore apart their lives Mm -hmm. or it it um, led them down the wrong path and one bad decision led to another bad decision and a different kind of culture shock when we came this way so we come from this community and this type of environment where we don't necessarily know it's a part of us Mm -hmm. um, what our traumas bring along with it our family um, how we're moving through life and our and our choices since I had gotten my first job at ASU as a designer, it was, it was very. I, I felt like I was very lucky to land upon that job, mm-hmm. but it was the first job that I ha- actually tried to apply for. Yeah, and um, and I lucked out in a way that it ended up being um, a couple blocks from my school, and I lived right in between. Oh wow! So you were still in school when you were faced. I was still. So you were maybe twenty. Yeah. I was the designer for uh, the campus dining at ASU. And so I would do like menus and I would do logo designs. I loved my job. Granted, I didn't realize my value at that point. We didn't have a lot of marketing directors stay. And Mm -hmm. so I would be training them. And then I would show them like what we do, how we do it. And sort of transition them in. But in the interim, I would work very closely with our directors. It was a lot of fun. But I definitely was not compensated for any of that role. I remember one of my bosses saying like, you do know that your hourly rate is pretty much the hourly rate of like an admin assistant. I started really, really bugging them about getting a raise and yes. like getting, you know, and and then I started doing a lot of the managers that would come in and the directors that would come in would be directors over because we had multiple locations it was a i mean it was a corporate it was corporate america and a lot of the concepts that i had developed they had wanted to carry over into other campuses wow yeah and so it became where i would help them um they would send me pictures of um locations and they would have me doctor it up in photoshop and put Mm -hmm. displays and like change the whole area so it looked like when we came in that's what we were going to give them i realized i was very instrumental in not just communicating to the students i was also helping the company like gain business yeah (laughs) and i remember one year i had gotten to a point where i was like i don't want to do this anymore I can't afford this. Like I was living very meagerly, Mm -hmm. (laughs) uh, really low wage. And now that I think about it, like I was making less than the minimum wage right now. Mm -hmm. And so I remember one year I was like, you know, can I'm going to ask for this raise. And if I don't get it, I'm going to leave. Yeah, I can find something elsewhere. And I remember my boss, she just said, no, don't leave. We need you. You're like, and so they gave me like a a $3 raise, Mm -hmm. which was like the biggest raise that I had ever gotten. And at that point, I was like, oh, wow, all that hard work. And I realized I needed to put my portfolio together based off of all the stuff that I was doing. So I started going around and taking pictures because yeah. something felt like like it wasn't going to last. Like, yeah. It took me that long to get a raise. We realized we all loved what we did, mm-hmm. but we just need to find a job that really supported that. And it was something I realized I wasn't going to do for forever. And then we all got laid off. (laughs) And then we got that notice. And I was like, I knew it. That's why we were working so hard. So we were all let go. And at that point, I think I was six months pregnant. I remember kind of freaking out, but not really. I mean, I had my 401k. They gave me a severance. I wasn't as uncomfortable, but then after that, I could go on to unemployment for a little bit. Mm -hmm. So I had this like plan, right? I was like, okay, I can outlast this until I have my son. And then 
figure something out after then. So I was like, even then still trying to plan out like exactly what I needed to do. But at that point it was very scary. Another weird transition. Yeah. You know, as far as me moving into Phoenix, I now had a degree, had the portfolio, had the, the references, the background, the extensive story of like my experience. Got out into the world and I was like, dang, it's competitive out there. A lot of people wanted publishing skills, not necessarily creative skills, which I was able to hone in this first job. People just wanted brochures or like ads. Yeah. And I wasn't that sort of artist, but I knew I could be that type of artist. Yeah. And since I only had five years, I kind of accepted it. Right. <laughs> so I went into the temp agency. It was called Aquint. I got a chance to get to know one of the ladies in there. And mm-hmm. at this point, I had had Canyon. And he, I think he was like only two months old. Yeah. And she's like, we are going to get you something that will back up all this experience. And then she's like, but nothing's coming up in the system right now. But there is like a six-month temporary job at the Arizona Republic. Mm-hmm. And I was like, okay. Yeah, and what year was this about? Um, This was about 2007. Mm-hmm. Okay. I learned a lot about the fast pace of media. Yeah. <laughs> like newspaper media, like everything is a daily. You're just pushing ads. Yeah. And I remember like going in and like feeling the energy and it was a really cool place. Like I had never been in that sort of environment. I was always a single artist. This is yeah. the first time I'm like in a team of 48. They were able to get me in there permanently. They opened up the door to say like, "Hey, we really want to hire you." And I went through this whole process of interviewing, ended up being a permanent employee there and spent about seven years in that position, Mm -hmm. but moving around within different areas. So eventually got into more coding website and creating templates for an online platform Mm -hmm. uh, for direct mail. This was all through a moment where every seven, six to seven months, uh, people were getting laid off. Constantly, our group of 48 people dwindled down to 12 at that point. Yeah, we were losing lots of staff. We were building templates. Like, I felt like we were in a zone of building ourselves into a template world, and Mm -hmm. everyone knew what that meant is that this was going to become automated. Yeah. And that either that or the jobs were moving. And sure enough, they did. They ended up going to India for Um. like a whole year. And uh, we lost a lot of publication people through that. Uh, so it was just waves and waves of layoffs. And and I was about approaching my fifth year when um, a lot of my team was about to get laid off. And they approached me and said, hey, do you want to go to the direct mail side? Because we'd like to keep you. Mm-hmm. And so... I accepted and I went to that area to to do what I normally do over there, but also to do design work because they were losing um, a designer and they needed a, they needed three. It's it's cool to think that I survived all those rounds of layoffs. Yeah. But I think it's also really sad that you, when you see technology taking over, but yeah. that opportunity to go to direct mail and automate their system was a new transition into the digital world and understanding how customers wanted, you know, advertising really quickly, like mm-hmm. not like just very templated, very basic design. I mean, eventually the, the print shop did have to shut down and we yeah. all, I got laid off like probably a couple years later, but, yeah. but lasted a little bit in that, in that position and really understanding the digital world. I was very much in a corporate type environment that was trying to survive on this, um, incoming force that's you know needed the numbers and needed this to and it's the media industry and so we're always like the looming gray cloud in the distance is when print is gonna die (laughs) yeah right yeah like when is that brink of print is gonna die and this was like our little chance of like not dying yeah and so it was just oh it was so heavy guys like that's the point when i got sick my body started feeling the stress mm-hmm. um, of reliving every seven months, you know, people getting laid off and oh, like God. being yeah. worried it's going to be you Next, and not really yeah. being prepared. And I have a, you know, a two-year-old, a three-year-old, a four-year-old. And, and then, so it just, 
you were constantly in this state of like fright or flight, you know, mm-hmm. like, do I just, do I just quit my job so yeah. that I'm not in this? Yeah. So um, this is your choice. Yeah. Yeah. The designers all eventually got new jobs because turned out and I ended up being the only designer. <gasps> wow. Oh my God. Yeah. And I was stressed, like stressed because not only was I doing all of the design work and the creative work, I was also proof pressing and like publishing the files so that they can go to press how in the world that's so crazy it's like surviving like the like zombie apocalypse and (laughs) the only person left and you're just yeah and you're like i used to be surrounded by so many people yeah it's just me yes and so like the cool thing is i was able to use technology to speed that process up because a lot of the things that we did was very manual or paper-based and so creating this process and then teaching the the marketing people about this process like when Mm -hmm. you submit this you put it here and then you tell me you email me and then so just making sure that they understood a certain process wrote down that process and gave it out yeah um, really being in control of how i received information it ended up being really cool but i remember like it was probably within that five months that we created that we all got laid off oh my gosh yeah that's like so, they're like cool now we don't need anybody because we have this i feel like that is like what happens too like i got laid off from my job last summer and it's like you get really busy and work just gets like intense and overwhelming and it's like more work than anybody can even handle and uh-huh. then it's just like they're like surprise also you know what we're just shutting down like we don't even need you anymore but in a way i saw it as a blessing yeah because the job was stressing me out it was looming in the distance. I kind of had had enough of of that whole corporate America world of, mm-hmm. you know, you, you give so much to a company and you help them in every possible way. You try and meet their demands. Yeah. And at the end of it, they don't even know your name. Yeah, mm-hmm. And granted, all the things that people had done together in this one building and we all knew each other, um, those relationships fading away and disappearing too. And yeah. so it's just it's just really sad that, you know, those situations can happen all of a sudden. Mm-hmm. Um, and this was like my second layoff. Yeah. And so it was another like, whoa. I got another severance. I got another, um, another way out, another um, way to look at things. And I was like, okay, this is cool. Had another 401k. Mm-hmm. <laughs> So all these things were in place that was like, oh, okay, I have a little bit of a cushion. Yeah. I'm not so scared. Um, My son's a little bit older. And I was like, you know, I'm going to move downtown. I had at this point started to reach out to my artists and design community um, in downtown Phoenix. And because I was feeling a lot of pain, I was going through a lot of emotional like doubt, like the value of my work and said, you know what? I don't know how to be myself other than be around people who are creative like me. Mm-hmm. And I can't be creative in the worlds that I'm in now, which is that publishing world. I remember seeing a flyer that said um, a Native American contemporary art show that was happening in downtown Phoenix at Civic Park. Mm-hmm. And that they were bringing together a bunch of uh, Native artists that were that labeled themselves contemporary, meaning that we just didn't fit in to like the regular spectrum of Native American art. (laughs) And so I was like, oh, this is cool. Like, and then Mm -hmm. way at the bottom, it said, if you would like to help contact so-and-so. And so I contacted her and I was like, hey, my name is Unique. I'm a graphic designer. I saw your flyer. I thought maybe you could use help the day of. I was like, I I used to do this. I actually enjoyed it. And I haven't done it in a while because Mm -hmm. I work downtown. And I was like, can I help you? And she was just like, yes. (laughs) Show up at this time. And I started to talk to her. And we got to know each other. and, And so when I walked in... Some of the people that were there are people that I knew from ASU that I had seen, you know, going to school, but I also had seen they were artists. The cool thing is uh, among a lot of people, we have art. We keep it close to us. It's something that I think we all lean on and we all have our own ways of expressing it. And so I knew that all these these students had some form of art and they loved it and they had an opportunity to show it mm-hmm. at this at this venue because it was contemporary. And then there were other, like, you know, people that I knew through other forms, other circles and just realizing that I was a part of this community. I just didn't know it. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, this is cool. And 
really started realizing that I liked us all coming together and being a part of something bigger. And it was the first of its kind, you know. we There had never been a young Native American uh, group like that got together like that. Um, a lot of them graffiti artists mm-hmm. and tapping their source from there. And I remember just being the girl from the res. I didn't grow up in art. Obviously, some of these people, they did. Like their parents were artists mm-hmm. or they... They traveled with the art show community, so the people that set up in Santa Fe and that move around with yeah. different Indian markets like the herd, and there's like a whole other world of that's the type of upbringing in life yeah. um, that you're traveling with your family like that. I didn't have that. I didn't understand that, but a lot of them came from that, mm-hmm. and so I can see I can see the influence. They knew how to set up. They knew how to do this. There's stuff. I'm like, wow, this is cool. And so I remember. When I decided to be a part of this uh, community of artists, I knew I was going to come with a different perspective Mm -hmm. and I knew I was going to come with a different sort of presence because I was very, very outspoken. I love technology. I love the process of design and computer arts. And I don't think a lot of designers get the type of respect that artists get. Granted, we're almost doing the same thing, but from different places and frames of mind. Mm -hmm. But we are doing our process the same. So it's interesting when I start getting closer to that world, I start understanding myself a little bit differently. Because I I hung out in the background. I never presented any of my stuff. Like I never said like I was an artist or I just like being around them Mm -hmm. and being around people who love to create. I wanted to be more of that, so I ended up getting in contact and working with the lady that put it together. Her name is Michelle Ponce. I felt a real connection to her because she really wanted things to happen like Mm -hmm. I wanted things to happen. And so she would invite me into a lot of different conversations that I didn't know existed and eventually would become part of a group of women that wanted to start a support system for female artists that needed to create spaces because the spaces weren't available. Mm -hmm. And so we came in with this mission. There was about five of us and they wanted me to do the logo and do the design work of it and some poster work, but mainly just the logo. And I loved that project because it, it really allowed me to be that person that I, the, the designer in, but it was also like supporting this art piece of it and like understanding that this was going to be the beginning of trying to create space for a place that doesn't exist um, right now. Yeah. yeah. And be really intentional about linking up with ASU, linking up with the city of Phoenix, linking up with different entities that held that power of the public community spaces, which is parks and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. So I knew going in that I wanted to be a change maker. I was also trying to tap into the art community within the Phoenix Indian Center. Mm -hmm. Had gone there, was introduced by way of uh, a couple friends. They knew my work. They knew what I did at the Arizona Republic. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I got brought into the Native American business side of things so this was just a side client this is a client that I picked up while I was trying to explore the art community and while I was trying to not be in corporate America Mm -hmm. I wanted to see what else was out there and where I can put my abilities and just kind of tapping those doors when I had gotten offered the job at the engineering company it was so funny it was the hardest decision because I had just got laid off and I can really focus on my clients I remember they called I think they were vetting me. Yeah. They had some they had somebody call me before, see who like my gist and how how I was. Yeah. If I knew what I was talking about. <laughs> and um he wanted to interview right then and there. Yeah. And he's like, Can you come in? And I was like, I have a six year old and so can I bring him? Like, is that weird? Like, cause I don't have a sitter. But yeah, like realistically. And so, yeah, yeah. So he was just like, no, he's like, I bring my kids to work all the time. He's like, we're a family oriented, you know, company and everything was working out in yeah. a way that I was just like, wow, this is amazing. Um, so I ended up working for this company and, and being a part of them. Um, but it quickly turned into another place that was backing me into a corner. I was given a lot of freedom and a lot of creative freedom. It ended up being an argument of what design is. And then them started treating me like I didn't know what I was talking about and that they just wanted it this way because 
this is the way that it normally is yeah. because they're engineers. Yeah. And also I think because I was their marketing person, I would have to go and travel out and go to conferences mm-hmm. and be the face for them, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and there was a point where my culture and my background became the selling platform. Oh. It became the area that they wanted to direct their business in because they heard there were grants going oh. out to our specific communities. Yeah, native communities. Native communities. You know, it's industry. Everybody's trying to get work. Everyone's trying to get jobs. I was hearing a lot of things from my dad because he worked construction. So he was telling me on his end what companies are doing coming in, how contracting is working, and then I'm learning it from this side and then learning that there's money to be made and it's a multi-million dollar contract. And I was like, wow. This is a really big, messed up industry. I can see where the people that are supposed to be benefiting from this aren't benefiting from it. And the people that are benefiting from it aren't caring about how they're affecting these certain communities and they're coming in, you know, getting these huge contracts. And and then at the same time, knowing and understanding that, that the Navajo Nation in my community is not spending money within our own economy. Yeah. We're spending money outside of the system. So it's really understanding the basic economics of it is that we're just gushing, you know, expenses, money um, left and right to to redo roads, to build housing communities, mm-hmm. to build these things. But another company, outside company, is going to be profiting from it. Mm-hmm. So the people within our community aren't generating the money. We're yeah. not, the money isn't coming back in. Yeah. Right? it's leaving and it's constantly leaving yeah it took me a while to get to that point but after being in that sort of business and really understanding what was really happening and then realizing who I was and what I was doing for this company didn't make me feel comfortable at all yeah and so I wrote a letter in the middle of the night and I wrote a letter specifically to my CEO saying that I know it's been six months and I told you I would be here for at least three years and I said it's just a different type of work and I said that I wasn't prepared to do the sort the sort of stuff that I was doing which was content layout and copywriting yeah and I wasn't that type of person yeah I was more creative more visually inclined to go in that direction yeah and I thought that's what they wanted but they only wanted the bare minimum of that, but they wanted the rest of my 75 hours a week to be yeah. engulfed in these in these uh, forms and yeah. these things that we're filling out, running after projects. And I understand it. You know, they're, they're trying to float too. It's a privately owned company. And then I knew that the owners of the company were the five lead engineers mm-hmm. and they owned part of the business and like understanding that structure and then how we're all paid out. And I was just yeah. like wow and it's an LLC and and I had clients and I wanted bigger clients and I also wanted um, more creative work but I wanted to choose my creative work I didn't want to work for somebody I wanted to work for myself and find the money all of that came crashing in at the same time I wasn't happy with my Mm -hmm. job and decided to leave wrote that letter sent it off he was hurt by the whole thing I think because Mm -hmm. like we had grown to know each other and and so he just didn't understand why I wanted to leave so early and so he's like I understand he's like if you ever need any help if you ever need any support let me know I left and I literally had been mailed the check from the Republic Media for my 401k I was holding on to it because I was debating on whether to put it into this new engineering company Mm -hmm. and to grow it there or to cash it out and use it to build my business Yeah. yeah And of course, I like I made that decision to quit and um, didn't want to get start getting sick again. Yeah. So then I cashed it out. I was like, I'm just going to do it. And then I started researching that you can use some of that money for starting up a business mm-hmm. that you, you don't have to Do you get to, to like avoid like taxes? If yeah. You do that? That's cool. Because I think it's like 20% if yeah. you just cash it. Yeah. Like, yeah. And that's a lot depending on how yeah. much money's in there. Yeah. So I this was like in October, I think, that I left my job. And then by November, I had formulated an LLC and gotten all my paperwork paid for it all if I could do redo it again I probably would have stuck it out a little bit longer and told him that I wanted to make my own business and that I needed some time to and that maybe I could help him in the future because at that point I had leverage yeah um he was referring me to other companies that he wanted to work with Mm -hmm. but 
instead of him offering me as a, like a resource, like off on the side, like yeah. you can start your own business, I would be under his hours. Yeah. You know, when I worked for an agency, that would happen a lot, even though it wasn't something that was like offered mm-hmm. as a service. Once they saw that I could do something, they would use it. They would use mm-hmm. it, and I wouldn't really get compensated. Uh, yeah. yeah, I know. It's For frustrating. the extra time, yeah. yeah. It's like you almost like want to go in and like not show people what you're what like, you yeah, really I do. do. Yeah, yeah. 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 What yes. you're capable of. It's yes. like I feel like I have that mentality more and more when I go into a new space or a new job. Because it's like you don't want to get overworked and then it's like now you're doing way more work than your peer but you're going home with the same paycheck and that's not fair. But see, yes, that right there, that point is, the I feel like is the reason why I go in working so hard mm-hmm. because I have so much to prove in yeah. the beginning. Because yeah. I'm a woman, because I'm right. a mother, and yeah. because, because I'm brown, because I'm native. I always feel like I have to work extra hard just to get the part. When they see that I'm talented or skillful or a little bit smarter than the average cookie, yeah. then they're like, oh, shoot, we just, like, jackpot. And you yeah. can see it in their eyes yeah. like they hit the jackpot. Like yeah, <laughs> like for them. Not for you, yeah. Yeah, exactly. not for you, but yeah. for they're them. Like, we're going to make a lot of money <laughs> off of you. That's, yeah. And yeah, it's, I feel that way too. That yeah. is exactly what happened at yeah. my last job. So, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's very, I feel like smart women of color, it is a problem for us. Like, we, we struggle so hard to create our own value. Mm -hmm. but we know we are valuable we know it and so it's just I had to learn it in this way so that I could be more of myself Mm -hmm. in that way I felt like maybe I I got a little bit personal in the end which it was made personal in the end they were calling me Navajo candy whenever I would go out they're like oh she'll have all the boys coming around and like I was all of a sudden put in this spot of being she's sexy she's native all the guys will just come and then we can just give them and then and we handed out giant bowls of candy we're the worst so (laughs) it was just like oh like and it became funny like everybody was laughing and i was just like yeah, that is. Like, it's just like my life and my whole identity. But like, then, no big but deal. Then it, 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 but <laughs> I mean, you think about like us in this space. We're like, how could they possibly do that? In that world, it is normal. Yeah, yeah. It's an engineering heavily yeah. male, white male yeah. industry, and these sorts of things just happen. <laughs> I went to conferences, and it's just like fun. Everyone is just there for a good time, and mm-hmm. you know, we're at resorts, we're doing golfing. And really, we're just trying to create business. Yeah. Because you have SRP, you have APS, you have engineering companies, you have architectural companies, and they're all coming together just to have a good time. Mm-hmm. You have to understand that there's a reason why they, they do that. It's because they want to give each other contracts. They want to give mm-hmm. each other, you know, the pats on the backs and the, the working together. There's this whole industry that is like the uh, that is also governmental and we were all there to support it you know we all came in and there was some people that i knew that were native that were also part of other companies that are native engineers yeah and i would see them there and they were all like part of aces and that's how i got my job mm-hmm. and so i would see them but then when when my own group of people were calling me like saying these things about me it was really weird to be in that space yeah they would first see me as like Oh, she's native. You know, another native person acknowledges another native person. We just yeah. all of a sudden stand out to each other. And then mm-hmm. all of a sudden, all these questions, where are they from? Are they Navajo? They don't look Navajo. But like, maybe they're this or maybe they're that. Yeah. Or maybe they're from here. And so there's all these questions and you, we kind of get closer throughout the whole thing. And you end up standing right beside each other and talking. And and it's more of a finding out of where we're all from. Yeah. But then I have this whole background community that also knows this person and that also like because they're all engineering community and they're like teasing me and like joking around and yes I am a jokester and I'm also yeah. very out there you know I'm able to shoot around the jokes with mm-hmm. you know the big guys and like kind of crack them up so we were in this moment of wow there's like two separate worlds clashing right now and I really don't like how they are treating me yeah in front of people and it was very uncomfortable and I was like I can't deal with that <laughs> or if I do this too much this is the wrong path for me yeah it'll be comfortable yeah <laughs> it'll be a great lifestyle but it's not it's sidetracking what I want to do and it's yeah. and it's taking up so much time like they wanted me to work 75 hours a week mm-hmm. 
And it was taking up so much time that I was like, this isn't my focus. This isn't what I want to do. It's enticing, but no. After I quit, I got several contracts that ended up fizzling out because I started focusing on my value. Mm -hmm. I started really seeing myself as now nobody's paying me on the side. Now I got to figure out what my hourly rate is what my time value is and what that is comparable to what I was working per hour with a company. Yeah. And understanding that there were benefits attached to that and I don't have those benefits anymore, but I still want those benefits. Yeah. So that has to be incorporated. And so it had me really thinking about dollar signs behind every hour that I'm giving. And what do I give to an hour? Is that like a meeting or is that actual sit down work or mm-hmm. is that concepting because those are all like different areas of the job yeah but according to like consulting life you can charge that in different ways yeah. like or you can accumulate it or you can be so there's different ways of setting up your structure of value mm-hmm. and so i was just so lost also dealing with communities that especially the native american community where uh digital you know arts was not valued at all i guess there was no monetary like value where they could sell it for a certain amount Mm -hmm. but there was a value for what i was creating within their company but they didn't see that Mm -hmm. they saw that as more of you're giving us something that we really need and so you're being a good person oh okay so yeah like interesting a different look on it and so when i when i had priced this out and created this whole thing, I ran into a lot of problems just even getting paid. Now I understand the value of all of that, but now my work is convincing people that they should be valuing this area mm-hmm. of, of industry. It's like hindsight, it's like 2020. Yeah, I was trying to reach a goal of understanding my value in the world mm-hmm. and my purpose. And when I understood my purpose, it was very hard to line it up with the value portion of it because I knew I was valuable, but monetarily getting that out of people was going to be a whole separate issue because then you had a lot of convincing to do or comparing people saying we got that logo for like $200. Yeah. And then I'm like, but I'm giving you more than a logo. Yeah. There's all this other stuff built up behind it. I'm also providing you with structure to your brand and I'm building templates for you so that you can keep your brand. Yeah. And I ended up having to push away a lot of Mm -hmm. those clients that didn't value me because I felt like I was fighting too hard for it. I don't need to fight for my value. People should understand that I come with it and that's why I'm there you're like I thought of all of this so you don't have to there's more value in that than $200 like why can't you see that yeah so it was very hard slap in the face I quit my job and I really wanted to support this part of the industry and because I got introduced to a lot of outside entities like Native American programming across the nation that bring together a bunch of tribal enterprises, tribal communities, also huge companies that are woman native owned. And so you meet these people that are doing like these huge multi-million dollar contracts and they created their own company and they went after their specific area that they knew about. Yeah. So like these engineers decided that they no longer wanted to work for anybody. They wanted to work for themselves and they set up their own business and put all the right pieces in play from their years of experience and then Mm -hmm. being a part of the industry and then used all these different areas to kind of say, I'm going to, I'm going to try and support this person, this person, this person. If I create my own corporation, how is it going to run? How am I going to be able to employ people within my community? Mm -hmm. And that was my dream. That was like the whole reason why I moved out from the reservation was to learn an industry to make a business. And so it was for me really tough to realize that I couldn't have it the way I wanted it, which was with the organization that... I had kind of built a relationship with yeah. um, as side work. So yes, I was able to like discount them mm-hmm. because it was side work. Yeah. Um, but when it became my full focus, then I realized that, oh, I was really undervaluing myself and now I cheapened the yeah. work. 
I, I created the standard that I didn't realize I was creating. And so I started moving away from that and really saying like no to jobs that wanted me to discount my work. And yeah. so I started supporting artists and being involved in that group and saying like, oh, this is where I can take my design work is I can support other artists. Yeah. Find out a way to be technically fast at what I do, mm-hmm. but then selecting my clients according to what's their budget like how is their budget organized for creative work do they want creative work Mm -hmm. i mean there's some people that don't incorporate the marketing aspect of their budgets when they're first creating an organization or first creating their business but then there are people that are looking for that where they really know the power behind it and so i started taking on those jobs i just have to really understand where my time is where i place my value what i really want to work hard at it's funny now that now that I've been able to kind of spend four years understanding all of this creative direction that I was like, how can I be more of myself and be able to pay for all my bills and be able to pay for employees and still do creative work? Those are all the questions that I am still trying to answer. And I don't have an answer yet, which yeah. is like, I'm not done with my story. I still feel like there's more to be done and that I've only like scratched the surface because Mm -hmm. I can stand beside somebody who had all the privilege in the world and was able to create a whole business within, you know, four years and have the funding, have the backing, have the money, have everything in place for them. And now they're operating and now they're moving. Where I'm at, it's a whole nother start to building something else. It's actually building the foundation of value, Mm -hmm. of what we value in our communities. The stories that we all come with, I don't think a lot of people understand that branding and identity, all of that ties into story. And that the corporate community has gotten such a hold on it and has made everyone believe their story Mm -hmm. and we stopped listening to our stories and that's our failure as like a community and I think it's because we don't have close-knit communities we're not trying to bridge other communities we're just trying to understand our daily life and Mm -hmm. our daily focus and what we want to do but I've been open to being more broad thinking and saying like as a community I'm part of Phoenix. I'm part of the reservation. I'm part of artist community. How can I bring that all together so we're Mm -hmm. all somehow working together? The sad part is the value isn't there yet. Arizona, Phoenix in general, doesn't respect or acknowledge their artists. And they don't acknowledge cultural story. It's hard to be heard when you have people coming to the same area that you're in and have the ability to say like oh i've got a degree in you know the fine arts and i've built this in other cities so when i come here i'm gonna be you know the artist that feels like a lot of displacement happens with the artist community that is here yeah our stories never really get to be heard because phoenix is constantly trying to place make everything yeah Yeah. (laughs) they're trying to create like brand new stuff all the time and not necessarily knowing that they're building over what Arizona is beautiful for yeah is the many cultures that exist here you know the tribes that live here like we can go talk about how ASU was kind of brought together and that it was a Hispanic community Mm -hmm. it was a farming community and then the the school was brought up there they decided to make that a school and it just pushed out the migrant community that lived there me learning more about that by being a part of events it's helped me listen to other people's struggles and helped me listen and identify with other people's displacement because Mm -hmm. i feel like i've always been displaced and even though i'm here it's not my permanent home i'm still trying to fix my displacement Mm -hmm. and my whole life is going to be me fixing my displacement it's cool to be able to think about how that is going to be able to influence the creative world that I've become a part of. And we're still all dealing with our own struggles that it's getting in the way of where I'm trying to go. I had to almost put money on the back burner, sacrifice a lot of things to make a project go Mm -hmm. because the budget wasn't there. My idea of money was always scarcity 
It causes a lot of trouble. It runs the world. It pays all kinds of fees, especially if you get in trouble with the law. Yeah. It's like the thing that keeps people in trouble. It's debt. You know what I mean? It's just, oh, it's horrible. Like people are in jail because, not because they've committed a crime, but because they can't post bail. Mm-hmm. Like, this, like that's just jail, not even yeah. like prison. Like yeah. they haven't been convicted of anything. And I've seen that happen to tons of people. Yeah. And so I realize now that I have like a privilege because I have the resume that I have and I've built this life that I was able to check out and I was able to say, I'm going to choose this life. Yeah. Yes, I can live bare minimum because I come from the res. I know how to live bare minimum because that's how I grew up, mm-hmm. living off of what I could do. Like When I quit my job at the engineering company, I sold my car. I got mm-hmm. rid of it. I needed to move in a way that cost less. Yeah. <laughs> so I bought a bike and I lived right off the light rail. All my business was done like on the light rail path or it was downtown. Yeah. And then, like, of course, four years goes by and you're the area that you think you're going to be at, you know, at a certain time, you're not there yet. And now I realize what that's called. It's called creating equity. It's and for me, it's from the inside out. Like I've been trying to get to this moment of like, okay, now I feel value. Even if when I was within my community, I wasn't feeling value. So I had to leave it. I had to, I had to say goodbye. And I did burn out. Like I burnt myself out, but it was because again, I wasn't valuing myself. Yeah. As soon as the opportunity became available, I came into this next job. I got in through another temp agency. I was only supposed to be there for like six weeks, went through so many interviews and it turned out exactly like how I got that job at the Arizona Republic where it was just too good to be true. It was everything that I had asked for. What it's called is creative operations. Mm-hmm. It's the operations behind everything and really understanding that system and making it compatible with technology. But I was like, what? <laughs> what I normally do is like something that I job. can get paid salary <laughs> yeah. for. Yeah. And when I decided to accept the job, it was almost like, okay, I can accept failure. It's not failure in any right. Mm-hmm. It's me moving on to a different industry and understanding it more so yeah. that I can be more impactful because this is systems based. There is a system holding me back. There is a system in place that isn't meant for me mm-hmm. and it's not built for me to succeed. Obtaining the grants, obtaining the funding for projects that I want to run after, I'm really going to have to be skilled in finding those areas and being able to team with people that have uh-huh. that same drive and to be able to work together so that we all know that we're getting our value out of that, our equal value, and that we're able to disperse that and understand that this isn't the only job, that there are plenty other jobs out there, Mm -hmm. and that we don't need to be fighting for the same type of work. I feel like there's so much competition right now in, I don't know if it's the Native community, but also other people of color community, Mm -hmm. where we all think like we're, we're struggling so hard for the money and we're struggling so hard to even get projects. And then you look over the fence and there's a whole industry, like the engineering industry, mm-hmm. that's giving away TVs and is in bed with the government. There's a reason why we're on this side and yeah. we're looking over this fence and seeing industries blossom here, but we're still struggling for work. And mm-hmm. we're st- we think we're still struggling for work. The reality is, is that we haven't we haven't figured out our own value and we haven't run after those major things, those mm-hmm. major things that we can change. We can start shifting. I guess it's all perspective. And so now I, I definitely took a step back to realize like, hey, instead of telling people this is my value, this is what I want, and then running those courses, I am now coming at it at a different way. I'm coming at it like maybe I need to educate first mm-hmm. because... I am on this path, but I can't be on this path alone because I need team players. Yeah. So I need to start educating and I need to start educating young, meaning I need to start to be able to get in front of kids who, who, like my son, I'm able to talk about money with, that there is a system out there in place and this is what I've you know seen in my lifetime and you need to be careful of all these hiccups, but... The most important thing, if you ever want a business, your credit. And these are the ways that you create this background so that you're able to get these things because this isn't taught to to people of color, especially Mm -hmm. children. 
you know, they're taught things in school that are going to direct them into a job that's going to be a dead end job where you're going to be working for somebody. So I have to bring that education that I wasn't able to learn in that way and bring it to kids so that they're like thinking about it because I feel like there's such a gap to their education versus kids that come from wealth because they see money they understand money money isn't scary to them money is a benefit money is something that is a resource and a tool yeah and it can be regenerated it's the difference between money is like you know the difference between being hungry or not versus when you have so much of it yeah that you can't even you've never been hungry you don't know yeah. what it's like well you put so much emotion on a dollar bill like how much a dollar bill is and that it causes you so much stress when you don't have it and you need it to to pay your bills if you don't have money to put that in place yes it is going to be the most traumatizing thing and that's where poverty mindset comes into play where you don't even want to deal with money because money brings you bad things it's not good it's never good it's always grief And so I have that opposite view where I'm like, okay, I was able to make money. I just didn't ask for the right amount Mm -hmm. and I didn't build it up into that area. And I was also going after the wrong industry to ask for it. Now that I've accepted this full-time job and I'm a digital asset manager now, it's a lot about access, restrictions, understanding a system. So it's just like... I've worked myself into this point where my techie skills in the back of my head are all now like the skills that I'm basing my day job on, Mm -hmm. which is allowing me to be more creatively free on this other end, this other side of the spectrum. And so I'm able to pay for a studio now. All the things that I was not able to do on my own, Mm -hmm. I can now do. Like I can have an apartment. My son can have all the shoes that he wants. He's he's at that age where he wants to look legit, you know? And so I don't want to say no to him all the time. There was a lot of moments where I said no. And so I really feel like it was fate giving me a break. I think what you said about failure and now you're talking about this being a break i'm not gonna say that you have a failed business but you had to pause it yeah. you know you had to pause it to figure yourself out and you know by pausing it you actually have more resources to improve your life mm-hmm. and i don't know people always think that you know to be a real designer be a real artist and I'm doing air quotes, which you can't see because this is a podcast, (laughs) but you need to be doing that full time. But like at the same time, you know, if you're getting resources from other places, you can do a lot more, like you said. I mean, I'm making more money than I ever thought I ever would have in that first job that I had Mm -hmm. at ASU. I am set. Like this is where I wanted to be. Granted, I'm not doing design work. I'm actually glad I'm not doing that creative work because I remember the deadlines. I remember the expectations. And I remember that I just am not prepared to do somebody else's bidding. I want to be creative on my own terms. Yeah. And so this job allows me all of that freedom. And then also the, the resources, like you said. I have been one complete lifetime of failure. Meaning mm-hmm. that I try things that don't necessarily work out the way that I really wanted them to, but they led me to my next step. I've been laid off so many times. I've backed myself into so many corners and I had to make a decision. It forced me to make a decision of understanding my life because the reality is is if I was a regular person that saw this job as my only job, I would be so scared to leave. But I feel like I come from a different idea of what work is. I can say that I can safely leave a place knowing that I'll be okay, mm-hmm. that I don't necessarily need to lean on a system. Yeah, I have flexibility. I'm actually privileged in that way, knowing that if all else fails, but me and a couple of my res friends we talk about, if all else fails in the city, you can always go back home. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like yeah. you can always go back home. And even there, there's so much to be fixed and so yeah. much to do. And you can live bare minimum. You can live on $8 an hour. I have not tried all the things that I can try to make it last and to learn all the stuff that I need to learn about this industry because the industry keeps getting deeper and deeper and deeper and it keeps leading me to understanding that art is power. Yeah, Art has so much power and that if I can just create value in that area, 
we can sustain our own economies, our creativity. Design is literally like, and I say this over, like people think I'm probably a nerd because I say this all the time. Design is creating a solution to all of the issues that we have. And if you're doing that for marginalized communities, once you affect that a community, then they learn something from it and then they take it in their own direction. Mm -hmm. So it's really like seed planting. And so I really feel like my mission in life is to be that seed planter where I don't have to take full control over something then I can give people the tools hand over the instruments and say okay now you run with it and let's see what you can do there's also an opportunity where I go back to the reservation I think of it as a workshop but it's a competition and it happens once a year in April they invite all the schools on the Navajo Nation they choose their best designers to come and compete. When I first went, it wasn't necessarily that. It was more of a really long test, but I definitely feel like they are not given all the resources and all the understanding of how to build effective designs. Yeah. And so I went in challenging the teachers and saying like, why aren't they learning this? These are the three programs that you have to learn when you get your first job. And so I'm just going to put this in there. It's going to start to be, if you want to compete, you have to know layout programs. Mm -hmm. And my cousin said she got a lot of emails saying (laughs) that they did not like that, that they didn't like me, that I came in changing a whole system that they were comfortable with because it's not challenging them and I kind of shuffled their cards Mm -hmm. and so this competition is for me to be able to translate that instead of doing tests I'm testing their skills and their abilities to work together I really just want to inspire these kids to go down the path of learning technology and and making it their own yeah Um, because I feel like there's so many people afraid of it especially where I come from Mm -hmm. and then telling these kids once you leave and you go to school which is what everybody wants you to do Mm -hmm. you're gonna have to find your way back so that we can keep building each other up and I really just want to be a model for that yeah also there's a lot of things affecting our community that we need to change Mm -hmm. so it's not just here we have a struggle yeah with equity and understanding where the money comes from I feel like I've always been trying to get to the epicenter I have been trying to reach that person who is in power, who is holding this stick that is saying that I can't do this. The more and more I realize it, it's actually me. It's actually me as I'm the one telling myself I can't do this because I heard Mm -hmm. it for so long from all these people saying I can't do it. So I just want these kids to be able to learn that they can do things that isn't a straight path, that isn't a path that they've been shown before. What piece of really practical advice would you offer one of the kids that you're working with in your community? The first thing I always tell them is that they have to be a Mm self-learner, that not everything is going to be given to them on a silver platter. Sometimes you have to find out by doing things and failing at things. Um, You have to try and try again. And as long as you have your family, yourself, and your community in that focus, you're always gonna be headed in the right direction. Because if Mm -hmm. you can have other people backing you up in that way, then you're gonna have a support system. The reality is, is that it's a huge world and we as Native Americans, because I'm always talking to Native American kids, is that you're 1% of the population and you are so important. Yeah, You are an important part of that population because you're tied to this land. Mm-hmm. You have authority in a story because your story has outlived most of the stories around here. Yeah. And if you can come with that, find your power in that and tell your story in whatever expression or whatever form you want to. Mm-hmm. And you know what? Maybe it's not creative work, but you being present in an industry that has never seen you in that area, you are showing them what our people can do. You are showing them that we have the determination to learn mm-hmm. all these different things and that we can bring it back because what you're learning outside, you're gonna have to bring it back yeah. and so that we can build our communities. I think another thing that I always have to say, your happiness does not have to be compared to somebody else's happiness. You build yourself from within 
and that if you are a creative person, it's going to be harder because there's a lot of competition out there, but you draw within Mm -hmm. and you shine out to the world. If you allow yourself to be compared to anybody else, that's when you start doubt and fear and all of that start coming in. So I hope you enjoyed that. It was such a pleasure talking to her. And if you want to follow along with all of the things that she does, which is a lot, clearly, um, you can find her online at uniquedesign.com. That is E-U-N-I-Q-U-E design.com. She is also on Instagram at Unique Inc. That is E-U-N-I-Q-U-E-I-N-K. And you can also find her on Facebook at Unique Design. She has a lot of exciting things coming up, but nothing set in stone at the moment, including a digital storytelling workshop that is focused on youth between ages 16 and 24 years old at the Phoenix Indian Center in the future. So you will definitely want to follow along if you're interested in learning more. As always, we would love your continued support for this podcast, and you can do that by subscribing or by sharing this podcast with a friend, leaving a rating, leaving a comment. All of that really helps us find the motivation to keep going. Thank you so much for listening, and I will talk to you in a couple weeks when we interview Carissa Lucille. You definitely won't want to miss that one. All right, catch you later. Bye.